Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Commons People, the Huffington Post politics podcast. This week we'll be discussing Theresa May's Noel Edmonds impression as she plays deal or no deal with the EU, whether the Lib Dems are now the official opposition on Brexit, are more Labour MPs set to quit Parliament and we'll also be bringing you up to date on what you might have missed in the week's news. But first, an apology to the thousands of Ned Simons fans who tune in religiously to hear from our very own member of the North London Metropolitan Elite. He is <laughs> off ill. Ned, please get well soon. She left with me, Owen Bennett, the rocket from Rochdale, Paul War, and the brains from Bristol, Martha Gill. Hello. Ooh, a bit of alliteration there. Like Hello, Martha, yeah, all right? Yeah, that's great, yeah. yeah. That's much less anti-Bristol than I was expecting. You worked, yeah. Well, <laughs> say that maybe later. Anyway, <laughs> the first Brexit. After vowing not to provide a running commentary on Brexit, Theresa May delivered a veritable blow-by-blow account of what she wants in the renegotiation in a speech on Tuesday. Like the leader of an alcoholic anonymous meeting, Theresa May set forward a 12-step plan to get us to give up our EU dependency. Leaving the single market and maybe the customs union were the big revelations, and she also left the EU in no doubt she'd play hardball with Brussels in the negotiations. Yet I know there are some voices calling for a punitive deal that punishes Britain and discourages other countries from taking the same path. That would be an act of calamitous self-harm for the countries of Europe, and it would not be the act of a friend. And while I am confident that this scenario need never arise, while I am sure a positive agreement can be reached, I am equally clear that no deal for Britain is better than a bad deal for Britain. So it's obviously that's been the big story of the week, Paul. Um, you were there in the room. It certainly felt like to to people like me watching it on television that this was a, a momentous speech and one we, we would, you know, we talk about David Cameron's Bloomberg speech, don't we? We talk about Theresa May's Bruce speech. We were talking about Theresa May, sorry, Margaret Thatcher's Bruce speech. Oh, we didn't talk about Theresa May's Lancaster House speech for years. Well, it's no wonder you got confused with Margaret Thatcher because <laughs> there were there's certainly elements of, of Maggie in, in what Theresa was saying. And it wasn't just in, in the substance, it was in the tone. It was very Thatcherite. It was very, you know, look, I'm going to handbag you guys over in Brussels unless I get what I want. Very different to David Cameron, who sort of was the supplicant to, to Brussels, let's be honest, and begged them, pleaded them to sort of change things on freedom of movement, to make things easier just so he could sell this referendum back home none of it works so she's obviously gone in with a completely different tactic and said right right from the beginning i'm not messing about look i'm not bluffing the people have voted so they're not bluffing and i'm certainly following through it's very good in terms of negotiating tactics whether or not it'll actually result in what we want is a massive massive question because as we're already seeing the eu are playing their cards quite close to the chest at the moment they're not overreacting but boy do they want to maintain european unity and if that means britain getting a, a worse deal then we'll have to see I, I bumped into some tory mps around parliament some sort of prominent eurosceptics who were saying that was the speech david cameron 
should have given ahead of the renegotiation. If David Cameron had given that speech, the whole party would have been unified behind him, you know, yada, 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 we can do the counterfactuals. But you did get a sense that the Tory Eurosceptics just were just rubbing their hands with glee at hearing these, you know, bashing, bashing Absolutely Johnny loved Brussels. it. I mean, you've got Bill Cash standing up in the Commons, Redwood, every single Eurosceptic heaping praise on Theresa May. But the really interesting thing was it wasn't just the sort of the, the levers, the people you'd expect who were praising her. What happened was the Tory Remainers were quite muted. It was almost as if they were sort of um, bamboozled by how hard line Theresa like the May was. The wind had been knocked out of them yeah. almost. It's yeah, it's as if they didn't quite realise it. And I was looking through this this the whole thing about the seven stages of grief, which we've all talked about. And, and you know, the seven stages of grief for a Remainer, they're, they're the same as everyone else. Shock, start off with. Denial. A lot of them are still in denial. And then comes anger, bargaining or begging, and depression or guilt before acceptance. Now, we've got a long way to go before acceptance. So, so the there's, a, there's a combination of all those things going on for Tory Remainers at the moment. They're, they're depressed, they're angry, they're still in denial. Yet they're, they're, their reaction, as I say, was muted. So you've got people like Subri who said, the most she said, well, well there's no white paper here. She was, very much, you know, it was processy, wasn't it? Yeah, it was it? very it processy, yeah. and we'll talk about that later with Labour. Uh, you know, Nikki Morgan, of all people, again, was just saying she was dis- disappointed. She wasn't outraged, she was disappointed. Alistair Burke said, like well, minute, you know, I'm not angry, Owen, I'm just disappointed. I know, but it was Alistair Burke was like, only Stephen Dorrell sent out an email saying this is worse than we feared. <coughs> and you've got to say that it just showed how dominant Theresa May is in her party and how that so-called Clarkite wing is now not just a rump, it's a tiny, tiny pinprick of the party. And all this talk about there being an anti-Brexit majority in Parliament is for the birds. Yeah, I mean, there were some people who were trying to sort of bring people back to, to Theresa May during the referendum, leading up to the referendum. She was a, she was a remainder, the, the rumours were, even, even if not a particularly vocal one. Uh, but now she has done this complete conversion to uh, um, a hardline, taking up the hardline Brexit mantle. Although, um, they're, they're, I, I was speaking to, to, to ministers about this, and, and it seems to be quietly acknowledged in the background uh, that... Um, that, that Brexit won't necessarily be a massive success. I think I think they're preparing for that, and they 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 need they there's been some suggestion of sort of another big policy that they need to offer people in in 2020, um, and and I think and, and May has privately said to people that you know um, that that Brexit is a is a symptom. It's not if, of what has what is going on in the UK. It's not necessarily the solution of all this disillusionment that's been going on, and something else needs to come in to address it uh, by the end of Parliament. Certainly she needs something else other than Brexit. I mean, Brexit could go slightly wrong, but I think a lot of the Tory MPs I've talked to, certainly the Eurosceptics, you know, they do conjure up this divorce analogy that they're prepared to live in a crap bedsit for a few years in order to actually, having moved out of the, 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 the marital home, in order to then get a bigger, better home at some point in the future. And they're prepared to put up with it. You know, it's a price worth paying. They won't say that publicly, that phrase, obviously, but, you know, a lot of them think it's price worth paying for your freedom and they think that the British public think if Brussels kicks up a fuss Brussels will be to blame for this going wrong not not Theresa May and so that's politically the most important <coughs> thing so what you know we're not going to be in the single market we know that the customs union she said we're not going to be in it as it is now mm-hmm. so she either wants a new customs union or a new deal so what is there left to negotiate because some people would say well we know we're not going to be in the single market so where where are these lines where's the conversation going to well, be well there's lots still to negotiate there's this 
hugely ambitious two-year timetable for getting a trade deal done with Europe um, by the end of the Article 50 process. Now, Europe doesn't think that's a priority. It thinks the divorce bill is the priority. And they're right. Legally speaking, we have to sort of sort out how much alimony we're going to pay to Brussels, huge liabilities in pension costs and other things. We've got to do some tidying up before we leave. But Theresa May thinks that in parallel with that, and so does David Davis, we can we can negotiate a, t- a trade deal. A lot of people think that's just really, really overambitious. Um, JP Morgan, I quoted this week, sent a note to investors saying it's too ambitious and it will result in things like a massively important services sector being you know stranded and a lot of businesses being screwed. It's because it's not just about tariffs; it's about things like regulation, how you do trade, you know, this so-called frictionless trade with Europe. And that's the detail to look at in all of this. You know, the headlines are politically really impressive, but in terms of policy, things like immigration is still a massive hole in that speech, as I wrote this week. You know, where will immigration negotiations fit into the trade negotiations? Will they be part of them? Will be they separate from them? What are we demanding? A visa system? Do we know yet? A lot of those are still unanswered questions, and, you know, the devil really, really will be in that detail. The guy that we, one of the guys we've got, you know, putting us, representing us, hoping to get this trade deal done is is Boris Johnson. And he found himself in hot water this week when he made these comments. If Monsieur Hollande wants to administer punishment beatings uh, to anybody who chooses to escape rather in the manner of some sort of World War II movie, uh, then then I, you know, I I don't think that that is the way forward. And I I think actually it's not in the interests of uh, our friends and our partners. Punishment beatings in the style of some World War II movie, and yet Downing Street insists, hey, he might not be talking about the Nazis. Exactly. He's talking about the Soviets or the Japanese. It's not a good look, but even cl- people close to him were at one point suggesting he might have been talking about the bridge on the river Kwai, you know, it might not be the Nazis. Oh, and none of that flew, they knew that. Um, but I think actually, in a strange way, he's got the wrong war because for me, the problem that's facing Britain, if Europe decides that Theresa May's plan is not up to scratch and they, they do want to, it's not good enough, they can't allow us to have all these freedoms on migration as well as have a, a eat our cake on trade. If they decide that, it's the first world war that it reminds me of, the Versailles Treaty. In other words, the conquering party... Brussels may decide well actually the the other side we're going to reduce you to some kind of penury now we all know where that led in Germany don't this we is, this is, this um, is but, in, but after the second world war the west decided actually yeah we really got it wrong in the previous world war what we should do is actually help the Germans not screw them after we've, they've been defeated and so you had the Marshall Plan lots of money invested into Europe the rest is history Germany is a strong economy now I think people in Whitehall are hoping that it's that second rather than the first scenario. So are you, are you worried that we might be so screwed over by Brussels that we might end up like <laughs> invading Europe? Because <laughs> I know this week we did run tanks down the Channel Exactly. Tunnel, I love that. So Great story. Martha, yeah, I mean, we have a good like naval show of strength, or even leading up to the Brexit, um, to, to Brexit itself with that flotilla, Nigel Frost. Yeah, and I was in the boat. Oh my God, what if I get called up? There's <laughs> no conscription yet. But, um, but you know, it's embarrassing having Boris Gamera saying these things. I mean, Michael Gove was quick on Twitter to defend it. I thought, well, that's rich. <laughs> Sorry, just take the knife out of Boris's back first. Like, but is, is it embarrassing, or do people just think, hey, that's Boris, and it's and it's fine? Of course it is. I, I think I think 
I think people used to Boris, uh, like Michael Coven, like like people, a lot of people in the UK are be forgiving of him because it is quite a amusing turn of phrase, but it may be lost in translation over the channel. And, and I, I think, think he's he is causing embarrassment abroad. Definitely, the 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 fact that. Uh, he's supposed to be foreign secretary. It's not just a backbench, and foreign secretaries are supposed to be about diplomacy yeah. ultimately. And let's be honest, Philip Hammond wasn't brilliant at diplomacy. Um, a lot of people in Whitehall were saying, you know, it wasn't his natural fit. His natural fit is his current job, you know, being counter in chief. Boris obviously isn't a natural diplomat, but at least he's out there to sell. And actually, in many ways, Theresa might have been better off putting him in the international trade job, going out selling Britain abroad, rather than making foreign secretary, where diplomacy is everything. But, I mean, Martha's right. Back home, it, it won't harm Boris. I'm convinced no. of that. Uh, the Number 10 were kept saying to us, though, that they didn't think really other people were treated seriously on the continent either. That she, They said, wait for the Elysee Palace's response to this. This was about Francois Hollande. Don't forget these course, remarks. Yeah. Um, and it's true. The Elysee haven't sort of kicked up a fuss and said how outrageous this is. And I think they'll probably just put it in the in the in the category of thinking, well, that that's Boris Johnson being Boris Johnson. Theresa May is what matters. But it's not just um, potential negotiating um, uh, opponents uh, in the EU who are, who are looking for signals that the government are giving out. It's also people, it's also Europeans who might want to come over here. I mean, I've, I've heard rumours that, that, that the number of applicants for working for, for food uh, suppliers to big supermarkets in the UK are already down by about a third. Um, people are being put off, and this is a problem for us. I mean, that was something highlighted by Amber Rudd quite early on. We want to protect the supply of sort of people who who come to pick vegetables, um, etc. But but there are some there are worries that 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 is something we can no longer control, really, uh, despite all the all the talk of control. And the other people looking, of course, not just people in Europe, it's other countries around the world. So, a source told me yesterday the Japanese ambassador was in Parliament, and he basically and he was having a lunch with Tory MPs, and he basically said. You know, we will lend you, Japan will lend you trade negotiators to get all these trade deals done quickly. And they're looking at it and they're going, hey, if the German car market industry is going to be really difficult for you to trade with, the Japanese car industry, we, you know, we will really step in and we're happy to fill the void and we'll, we'll fill the streets of London with Toyotas. So there, are, so, you know, there is other people now, the countries now looking at it and thinking, oh, well, you know, they're leaving the single market, right, we can really... Well, it's about, it's about the reality of Brexit. You know, as I said earlier, you know, a lot of Tory Remainers are still in denial that the reality is actually going to happen. Theresa May got before everyone else in that Remainer camp. It is going to happen. And a lot of businesses now know it's going to happen. That's the one thing. That's the reason the pound went up this week, because the certainty is we're going to have not be in this single market. Let's do this week's quiz. Ooh, we like a quiz. Who said Let's it? Hope it's better than last week. Who said it? Boris Johnson or Donald Trump, right? You're going to so give us better options than that, aren't you, in terms of your... If, they, they've got to rhyme. If Donald Trump said it... Yeah. It's totally Trump. Totally Trump. If Boris says it, it's bloody Boris. Bloody Boris. Okay. I wanted to go with Donald Sucks and Boris Pecker, but that was... That's a, no, I mean, I don't think... Offensive, so no. whatever. Okay, so who said it? Who said it, okay? Uh, this is on being overweight. Face it, it's all your own fat fault. Oh, that actually sounds. I think that that's Boris because that's a kind of a that's fun it. turn of phrase. Boris, right. uh, whereas, although we all, you, I think you tried to put this off because we all know that how what, what what Trump feels about fat people, particularly fat women. But I think that's Boris. I think Martha's right. I think it's uh, it, um, what was it? Boris? What? What's the bloody phrase? Boris? Bloody Boris. I think it's, it's bloody, bloody Boris. Boris Blo- yeah. You are right. It is bloody Boris. Um, okay. 
I've never seen a thin person drinking Diet Coke. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard this one, so I'm afraid Very I know good. who it is. Who is it? It's Trump. Is it? it? Totally Trump. Totally Trump. That's good. Anyone who thinks my story is anywhere near over is sadly mistaken. Ooh, that's got to be Trump, hasn't it? Anyone who thinks my, my story... story is anywhere near over is sadly mistaken. Yeah, it doesn't have any sort of self-deprecation that Boris normally injects. Yeah, into my his story. Twits. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's I Trump. say totally Trump. It is totally Trump. You're right about that. Um, okay, Chinese cultural influence is virtually nil and unlikely to increase. <laughs> that's bloody <laughs> Boris. I remember <laughs> Boris, it yeah. well. That is I agree. Boris. You got into big trouble over that. Uh, I've slept with far fewer than a thousand. Um, surely that Isn't is that Nick Clegg. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> I've got no oh idea. Oh God, I don't know. Wouldn't wouldn't Trump be saying he? Wouldn't Trump be putting a minimum figure on the number of people? <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, I'm going to say Boris because it, it probably in the in the wake of of Cleggie. Yeah, it's, it's bloody Boris. Uh, okay, well, I think we've got every one of these. Right, yeah. yeah so I started well. this quiz, I realised it actually sound that similar. So, but I was I was too late. I was busy. <laughs> no, go go so for anyway. it. Uh, everything in life is luck. Oh, God, totally that's Trump. probably Trump. Yeah. It's totally Trump. I thought that was something I could borrow some. Um, I try to learn from the past, but I plan for the future by focusing exclusively on the present. That's where the fun is. Ooh. I think that's Trump. I think that's where the fun is wouldn't be, but isn't very Boris. Yeah. It's an Americanism, isn't it? It's very declarative. Yeah, yeah, totally Trump. Yeah, totally Trump. Well done. You got them all. Wait, that's got to be a first, that isn't a it? First, yeah. In the history of the quiz. That's a good quiz. Oh, well, because we know, got them let right. down. Don't, don't anyway. be let down. So anyway, let's have let's have the uh, the EU jingle. Love that. Right. Love that. Martha just raising one eyebrow very slowly there. <laughs> I'm not sure that's approval or disdain. So who's had the best week approval. this week on our scale of uh, Tim Farron for the Remainers and Nigel Farage? For the hard Brexiters, it's obvious. It's it? obvious. It's Farage because she's kind of quoting Farage. Yeah. I mean, Theresa May, all that stuff about the Germans won't want to not sell their cars to us. It's straight out of the Farage playbook. So many, I've heard that so and many times. Whoever came up with that for Farage deserves a medal because he he banged that message yeah. really, really repeatedly. Okay, we'll say we'll say we'll say it was Farage. Okay, so let's move move it on now to people against Brexit. I mean. Labour got themselves in a bit of a muddle this week, and even Theresa May was reading back some of Corbyn's lines in PMQs to display the kind of muddle that went over Brexit, whereas the Lib Dems are in a position of being very, very, very clear. Um, and it begs the question, really, are, Lib, are the Lib Dems now the, the kind of official opposition on Brexit? And I caught up with Nick Clegg, remember him, earlier this week um, to have a, a sit-down interview, which you can see online. And here's a little clip when he talks about how he doesn't want... Um, doesn't want it to be a hard Brexit, basically. Well, yes, I, I am very deliberately and actively saying, look, stop this sort of belief that all you need to do is sort of, you know, deliver Brexit by Daily Mail. Uh, you've got to deliver Brexit for the whole nation and for the young as well as the old. And, and maybe after, after is one, maybe just for a transitional period, is a, is a sort of sensible accommodation between those very profound, different rival views within Britain today. So are the Lib Dems now the go-to party when us journalists want a comment balancing out whatever Theresa May said? We, we I guess, do we go into Lib Dems not Labour now? They're going to be, Labour are nowhere in this. Would you, would you say that, Martha? Yeah, I would totally agree. Labour have kind of have muddled and backtracked on their view. People still aren't really sure where they stand uh, because, of course, they want to protect their their heartlands in which, which a lot of them voted Brexit. And if they move away from that, UKIP... UKIP will get 
get control of those. So so that's that's where they're stuck. Whereas Lib Dems, less to lose, able to come out completely for uh, as the as the anti Brexit party. But the question is, what are they what are they really promising? Are they uh, as an alternative? If if, if you know if if you if you vote in in a by election, if you vote for Lib Dems because you don't agree with Brexit and you want things to go back to how they were before, what what are the Lib Dems promising to to do to that? They've been left with with very few options. I mean, we're not going to go back into the EU, are we? Well, they've got this fantasy policy of a second referendum, haven't they? Which, to be frank, is um, even more of a fantasy policy than the original sort of 1990s policy of a P on, one P on income tax is going to pay for schools. Um, now, as it happens, we might talk about that later, whether or not that's an idea whose time has finally come. But um, the idea of a second referendum, I think m- most of the polls show that even people who voted remain uh, and obviously uh, are in more of a state of acceptance than the politicians are and now think actually there's no way asking this all again and dragging it up how many times we have a referendum how how big would the majority we have to be to negate this referendum i think the second referendum's a, a non-starter and you can kind of see that in scotland where they have this idea of the second referendum on independence but actually all the polls show that, that people don't really want that and if they did have it Scotland would probably vote again to stay part of the UK. So actually, although Scotland's a good comparison actually, because the difference in Scotland is that the referendum unleashed, despite their defeat, unleashed this extraordinary political movement and the SNP, which is the tide will not be turned back on that very very quickly by Labour at all, and that's why Labour's problem here in the UK on Brexit is similar because Labour in Scotland doesn't have a voice. It is squeezed obviously by the nationalists and by the Tories who are very pro the union and you've got the nationalists who are very pro-independence. And it's exactly the same on Brexit as we've talked before. Uh, th- I get the feeling, and Michael Deakin in the t- Telegraph sketch today was wonderful when he said that, you know, Labour MPs don't want a hard or soft Brexit, they want a quick Brexit. They, it's true, they want this out of the way. It's getting in the way of normal domestic politics. Brexit is killing them. And they don't have any answers. They don't have any easy answers, given their position in the country. And so they just almost want to get it done. And you can see that, as in Scotland, say there is independence. That's when Labour might actually revive if there is independence in Scotland, because you have a proper opposition and you have an SNP. You have a normal two-party or three-party system, and they'll talk about domestic politics. This big issue of independence will have gone. And it's, in a way, the same for Brexit. Once we're actually out... Real politics might reasserting itself left v right, whereas at the moment it's still sort of in out, sort of you know hokey cokey. Where are we? And and I think that's what's really interesting about British politics right now. It's just so yeah. strange because the seventy five referendum had exactly the same impact on the Labour Party, and it ultimately led to a split. And this referendum is having exactly the same one again. I mean, there are, as well as people being you know wanting Brexit to get over so they can crack on with. Normal politics, some Labour MPs are just saying, hey, I've had enough. Jamie Reid has got a job and he's leaving Parliament. Tristram Hunt last week said he's he's leaving, you know, Stoke's favourite son is leaving Stoke on Trent Central to take up a job in in the VNA. Uh, I caught up this week with Angela Rayner, who is a Shadow Education Secretary, and we did talk about that in the interview. And she said, you know, basically, if you haven't got the fire in your belly, you shouldn't be in Parliament. Um, but we talked about lots of other stuff. And one of the really interesting things from Angela Rayner, who has spoken at a lot of momentum rallies, a lot of rallies in support of Jeremy Corbyn, was actually her defence of Tony Blair and what Tony Blair's policies did when she was uh, a teenage mum. And here's a, a, a clip here, which I think is, was absolutely, I, I found quite moving, actually. Ideology never put food on my table. I talk about Tony Blair's tenure because it changed my life. 
it gave my children a life that I could never have dreamt of having. And I want us to get back to that. There was a council house waiting for me when I had Ryan. There was a welfare state. I never put in the system before I took out. I was on income support before I'd even paid a penny of tax. Thank you to the taxpayers of the UK, because instead of you taking my child off me, like they used to do in the 50s and 60s to single parents of that age, you let me be a mum to my son. My son works, he's at college, he's working, he's a great young person, you'd be proud of him. I'm proud of him. And I pay taxes now, and I continue to pay taxes because of what you did for me. It was a tremendous thing, and that's what Labour stands for. That's what you do when you're in power, and yet you'd see the reverse. When we're not in power, you've got the Conservatives dismantling the National Health Service. Forget trying to get a council house now for people in my situation. Uh, forget adult education now. Those courses that I were able to get back on the ladder of going back into work are not available for people like me now. So if the Angela of today is in a much more detrimental position than the Angela of you know 1997 when I had my Ryan, when I was in where we had what was the Attlee government who provided me those stepping stones and then Tony Blair's government which then looked at sure start looked at you know our schools being better aspiration for working class kids and that second and third chance that we know that sometimes all children and all adults deserve a need I mean, like, like I said I found that quite moving when she's thanking the taxpayers yeah for enabling her to keep her job what did you make that I don't think it was like and it gives the light to the idea that you know MPs are all the same they're all in it for themselves you know it's it's not just the Labour Party you've got MPs who are as real as that the Tory party too have people who've come from different backgrounds David so Davis is a classic example David Davis but also the new intake you know you know Johnny Mercer people like that who've you know lived a life um, whether it's in the armed forces or in business or wherever and, and dragged themselves up by their bootstraps what I found particularly moving was the sort of social element of that which was She's absolutely right. In the 50s and 60s, you know, single mums, the pressure was to give up their kids for adoption. Uh, and ironically, we've seen a big push for adoption under under David Cameron and perhaps influenced by uh, Michael Gove, who was himself adopted. And I thought that socially that was really interesting that, you know, now, thanks to the, all the support systems that were in place in the 90s and 2000s, a single mum... No, no, it's socially different. You wouldn't have to give up your child, but also they wouldn't get the worst outcomes as well. And that that particularly powerful line about second and third chances for kids and adults was was a sort of, in many ways, Labour could put that on their posters because it's very, very powerful. It's what Labour's about. And also there was a really key bit, which I thought in the interview when she talks about the adult education courses that she and her mum had been on, and there were things like learning how to cook. And then she said, but the Tories... She should have scrapped them because you don't get a good, good qualification at the end of it. But what price, you know, enabling someone to be able to cook to feed their children, therefore the children aren't taken away. So actually, you know, these things, it's not all about the beer paper at the end. And I thought that was a really interesting thing. I mean, the fact that it's coming from someone who has been not a Corbynista, but, you know, certainly supportive of Corbyn's leadership and spoken at momentum rallies. How do you think that goes down with that kind of section now of the Labour Party, which seems to want to trash Tony Blair? I wonder, I mean, that, that side of the Labour Party seems to be mired in, in kind of infighting at the moment, sort of, it's it sort of in its dying, it's, it's dying out as the Labour Party becomes a bit more unified, um, perhaps not on the issue of Brexit, but certainly in the wake of Corbyn's sort of uh, le leadership triumph, things seem to have settled down. 
I don't think it'll cause that much reaction, to be honest. There might be (laughs) private muttering to each other, but it wouldn't have caused the outcry that we would have seen a couple of months ago. I think it's it's true that, that what you heard there was the authentic voice of a Labour MP who actually isn't part of party political factions, you know, momentum or progress or whatever. She just wants to get on with her life and she just wants the party to be Labour Party. And that's quite powerful. And and I was at the PLP this week. And again, Jeremy Corbyn addressed the PLP for the first time this year. Um, he's supposed to have gone last week, but he went this week. Um, anyway, what happened was... There was a sort of muted response, a sort of air of resignation amongst MPs. They asked him questions about his models on immigration, his models on, you know, foreign policy. And he didn't particularly rise to it, but he never does. And equally, they didn't really push it. And you, you, I talked to Labour MPs afterwards. They said it was quite calm. It's quite civilised. And you are in this standoff within the Labour Party. They accept the result of a second leadership election for Corbyn. But what I think is interesting, we often go on about the, the division within Labour between the membership and the PLP, the membership and the MPs. And it's true, there are two very different Labour parties and Corbyn's, we know which is Corbyn's. Um, but tonight we're going to have the Copeland by-election selection up, up in Cumbria. And there you're going to see a real test for... The other contest, which is within local Labour parties, how much influence do the new members have against the old members? Will the new members actually turn up in person? Because you have to turn up in person or get a proxy vote to vote for a party selection for a candidate. You can't just be an online clicktivist or a keyboard warrior, as one of the local Cumbrian uh, activists told me this week. And he said, we've got a lot of keyboard warriors. How many of them are going to turn up and vote for the Corbyn candidate, who's a woman called uh, Rachel Holiday. Now, she's a very impressive woman in lots of ways, very Angela Rayner-like. She was former homeless, single mum. You know, she's done really impressive things. But she's only joined the Labour Party when Jeremy Corbyn uh, was pitching for leader. And there are people locally who prefer a woman called Jill Troughton, a former uh, NHS doctor, who's a lifelong Labour councillor and is the person who's turned out, turn up to meetings, but not just meetings, turn out to canvas and leaflet week in, week out for years. So you've got an old-fashioned sort of Labour person against a brand new one, and it'll be a fascinating contest to see who comes out on top. Looking forward to seeing that. I'm sure that'll be in your war zone tomorrow as it goes out, Paul. Um, <clears throat> so, Martha, this week's In Case You Missed It, we'll be looking at Brexit, we'll be distracted by big, shiny Brexit news, what have we missed this week which we should have paid attention to? Yeah, well, in case you missed it, um, every school in every area in the UK is going to lose school funding. Um, the uh, An analysis of, of, of a new government figures uh, by sort of five or six big unions has has revealed. Um, we In the Huffington Post, we've, we've sort of t- taken a look at this and, and, and we've got the top 10 areas which are going to lose out. They're mostly Labour areas, but, but there are some Tory... Um, areas in the in those top ten, and uh, certainly a lot of MPs are going to be quite annoyed about this because they were hoping their schools would get more funding under the government's new plans, not less. So cutting funding to keep MPs on your own side. I know. Not a good look, is it? Not a good look, but also it underlines this idea that the Tories for years made great political capital out of Gordon Brown's stealth taxes. Labour isn't doing enough about the stealth cuts that are happening across the country, and here's a good one, which is schools. We were told that actually school funding was protected. It was, you know, in the Tory manifesto. It was, uh, um, it was made clear by David Cameron repeatedly. This is a priority, but 
what happened in the last parliament was that Michael Gove very early on was outmaneuvered by the Treasury and that he was squeezed on everything that wasn't just schools funding. And since then, since Nicky Morgan took over and now we've got Justine Greening, you're seeing slowly but surely impact of local authority cuts, not just on schools funding. Um, and that's why The Guardian did this brilliant piece this week talking to head, headmasters across the country and mistresses, and which said that they're they're not renewing posts such as teaching assistants, teachers themselves are not being replaced, admin staff. You might think that's all minor, but, you know, if there's a secretary in the office who needs to do stuff to get applications processed, it's all really important. Special education needs, all sorts of stuff. The cuts are really beginning to bite. And it's, as Martha says, it's not just in labour areas, it's in Tory areas too. And that's why this will be politically quite powerful. Well, I, I Corbyn did have a good line on this in his Fabian speech at the weekend, didn't he? He said the Conservatives have not devolved power, they've devolved austerity, which I thought was a really good line they could, yep. they could be pushing more on. Uh, hopefully next week we'll have Ned Simons back. Ned, get well soon, mate. I'm, you know, I'm lighting a candle for you. I don't really know what's wrong with him. What's wrong with him? Just the flu. <laughs> He's got a bug. He's a very, very bad case of flu. He's got the politics flu. He's got the man flu. Ned, he's if, flu and he's flown. Ned, if you listening to this, I know you are, <laughs> just get on with it. I mean, don't go down the A&E or anything and cause another NHS crisis, all right? <laughs> anyway, thanks so much for listening and see you next week. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.